0: May the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. The saying goes that if you want to hear God laugh, you should tell him your plans. I wonder how long and loud God laughed on Easter morning when he heard the plans of the female disciples to go and anoint the dead body of Jesus. Their hearts are in the right place. Their intentions are so pure. Their teacher and their master has been executed in the most humiliating fashion. So they get up early the morning after the Sabbath to go and care for his corpse with herbs and spices to keep the stink of death down. But when they get to the place where he was laid, no Jesus. The women are prepared for the grisly business of dealing with a decomposing body. But instead, when they arrive at the tomb, they find that it is empty. This is a strange and scandalous thing. Luke tells us that they are at first perplexed, not joyful, confused. And this is not just a matter of misplacing something around the house. A body is hard to lose. Has Jesus been stolen from them again? Now we should not, of course, fault these women. We know something about Easter that they don't. They have set their expectations to match the world as they have known it. And they're about to discover that the world has been greatly changed. Easter is a paradigm shift. The ground of reality has moved. These women and the other disciples wake up to face the day, to move forward without their Messiah and their friend, the one they thought was going to redeem Israel and the whole world, is dead and gone. They have to pick up the pieces that are left behind in the wake of Good Friday. You may have had this experience before, losing a loved one or suffering some kind of sudden tragedy and finding yourself left behind. The survivors of such an experience are often dramatically changed, We're not the same people we were before. And you may eventually start to mark time into eras of before and after whatever the big thing that happened in the middle of your life is. But somehow, we have to find a way to get up the next morning and keep going. So now when they discover that the tomb is empty, the content of their conversations... The nature of their world, all their plans for that day and the next, have been turned upside down again. After all, they had just only recently gotten used to the idea that Jesus was dead. Having the angels there helps, as it often does. Luke does not come out and call the two men in bright, Clorox-bleached, white-clothes angels, but we can safely assume that's who they are. And they know something that these women have forgotten. These first visitors to the tomb lack the interpretive key they need to unlock the story of the resurrection. They're looking for Jesus in the wrong place. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. So despite their devotion, these women have failed to grasp Jesus' message. They've not reckoned with the power of God that was at work in and through him. And before we fault them too much, notice that there are no men at the tomb at all. The solution to this miscalculation is remembrance. They have heard Jesus' teaching, and what they hear from the angels calls to mind again what Jesus has told them about himself. In Luke 9, he makes it very plain. The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then again, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. He told them what was going to happen, and they just didn't believe him. Recalling Jesus' words about himself, the teaching that he gave to his disciples, sets his trial and his crucifixion in their proper context. Understanding the resurrection requires interpretation. And the key to that interpretation is Jesus' own words about the purposes of God. The disciples have been distracted from the truth by current events. But the key to understanding the world is found when we focus on Jesus more than anything else. Earlier this week, I was scrolling around the internet as one does when there is much much more important work that has to be done (laughs) and i stumbled across this video the genre of which i'm sure you're familiar with it's one of those inspirational clips right it's a young child who's not even a year old sitting in a high chair and he has difficulty seeing and the title is baby's first pair of glasses And so his parents are trying to put onto him the tiniest pair of prescription glasses you've ever seen. And he is fussy and difficult and resistant to this strange thing that they're trying to do. He puts up a little infant sized fight before his mother and father get those glasses firmly in place. And then he opens up his tiny little eyes and he sees his parents clearly for the first time. And at first, you can tell he is nervous. Almost in shock, his eyes get very wide, and then his face brightens, and he smiles, and he laughs. And it's obvious that being able to see clearly has made a huge difference in how this little boy experiences and interacts with the world around him. The remembrance of Jesus' words is a moment like that, because by them, you can see everything else. The disciples come to themselves like when you wake suddenly from a bad dream. And they understand that the empty tomb is not perplexing, but glorious. Jesus did tell them that there would be suffering ahead, but that he would be vindicated in the end. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. And yet, in his faithful submission to the will of God, he endured the cross and grave in order to fulfill everything that was necessary to redeem us. This is the mission that Christ was always on. And understanding it properly is what opens their eyes to see that the empty tomb is actually great news. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus is not dead, but alive. He is arisen. And there is so much to be done, he's already up and gone by the time they get there. Out and about in the world, doing the business of the God who raised him from the dead. This, to me, is the best thing about the Easter story. Jesus has been in the tomb since Friday, and by Sunday morning, he has so much to do that by the time the women get there, even before the sun is up, he is already out. Jesus is out on the loose. There will be new tasks given in this suddenly new world, and there's no time to wait They have to get away from the tomb and out into the world to find Jesus there because his mission is not finished. And who knows where he might pop up next. The post-resurrection appearances of Christ all have this same kind of character. He just sort of appears. He walks through doors. He invites the disciples to breakfast. He shows up on the road to Emmaus. The resurrection frees Christ completely, and now he cannot be contained. These women remember the things that Jesus told them. They believe them to be true, and given the new evidence that has come to light, their hearts are turned within them, from confusion to joy, from questions to proclamation, from fear to complete confidence in God. One of my favorite old movies, and I I say old movie, but this is going to hurt some of you, I'm afraid, uh, came out in 1987. Uh, It's a film called The Untouchables. It stars Kevin Costner as this leader of a team of law enforcement trying to take down the famous mobster Al Capone in Chicago in the 1930s. It is not a family film, let me be clear. Um, But it stars Sean Connery in kind of a great role as, of course, the grizzled veteran cop who's seen too many things. And Kevin Costner at that time, was a very fresh-faced optimist trying to change the world. And the two of them have this great scene together in a Catholic church, and they're having a quiet talk about how to catch Al Capone. And Costner lays out this perfect plan the way that young people often do. And Connery turns to him in the pews, and he says, forget all that. What are you prepared to do? It becomes a bit of a mantra from that point on as they're chasing Al Capone given the evidence given the facts of the case set aside all your clever plans what are you prepared to do this is the question that hangs over Easter morning the tomb is empty Jesus is risen and gone what are you prepared to do The women come away to tell the other disciples because, of course, you would want to share a story like this one. They're having an incredible Sunday, just as you are, and it's not even time for brunch yet. And we all have stories that start that same way. You're never going to believe what I saw this morning. And they preach the first Easter sermon. They run back to the others to testify to all of the things that they have seen and heard, and they enlighten them about the new significance of Jesus' previous statements in light of his suffering death and now the shocking emptiness of his tomb. Peter follows up on their report to see for himself, and he meets no angels, but he does see that the tomb is empty and comes away trying to understand what it all means. What it means for those of us who are like Peter, who have had no angelic confirmation, but have heard the reports, is that what Jesus accomplished on the cross is indeed a worthy offering in the eyes of God. The resurrection does not erase the crucifixion, but justifies the one who was crucified before the whole universe. God the Father raises up the Son as if to say, yes, Indeed, I was with him all the way through death and down into hell. And yes, indeed, he is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The resurrection shake things up. It means that sin and death are defeated, that we can be saved because of the faithfulness of Christ. Christ is risen and will never die again. This was not just good news for his first disciples, it's the best news in human history. It means that when we face our own challenges, our own heartbreak, our own mortality, we do not have a God who cannot sympathize with us, who stands at a distance and tells us to sort things out for ourselves. We worship a risen Savior who was broken for our sins, who poured out his life on our behalf and then was raised by God as vindication of his faithfulness. Jesus has been where you are now in your doubts and your fears and your pain. He knows your quiet suffering and your frustration and your confusion. And he does not offer meaningless and empty platitudes that cannot save. He offers his life yours, all of it, down to the very last drop of blood. And he promises that where there is death, there will be resurrection. This means that life is about more than just working towards rewards that we may never realize, that suffering is not all there is, that death is not the last word, that the powers that seek to corrupt and destroy the creatures of God have been put on notice There is hope for the hopeless, and comfort for the brokenhearted, and peace for the tormented soul, because Jesus Christ is ready, willing, and able to lead us into new and glorious life, the resurrected life that comes from knowing his victory and the love that God breathed into those lungs in the belly of that stone-cold tomb. Friends, my prayer this morning is that you want to have a life like that one, a life that is resurrected and not cold and dead because we know a God who is God of the living and not the dead, the God who has been down to the depths themselves for our sake and came back to remind us that there is no pit, there is no hole, there is no despair that is deeper than the love of God can reach. And the resurrection life is on offer for any who are willing to receive it and enter his kingdom. We are hardwired as human beings to seek a kind of transcendence, to feel that pull of something beyond ourselves, and to revel in the feeling of being in the presence of that kind of power. Think of the way that you feel standing on a beach, looking out at the vastness of the ocean, or being lost in the crowd at a concert or a sporting event, or climbing the highest mountain peak you can find. We seek out these places and these experiences because we seek that which is transcendent, something that reduces us to quiet awe or to incoherent joy. God is the author of the search for that transcendent moment that lives in each of us, and the resurrection is the most transcendent thing of all. If we seek to experience truth and goodness and beauty, we see those things in the resurrected Jesus. All the experiences and all the natural phenomena and all the entertainment that we might seek are not ends in themselves. They point us back to the one who made us to seek such things. And they remind us that the deepest fulfillment is found where Christ is. That's the reality that so much of our search for meaning in life ultimately obscures. But the truth is that we do not need to have a mountaintop experience. We need Jesus. We don't need to read a better book on mindfulness we need Jesus. We don't need a better approach, a clearer plan, a less hectic schedule, a few more years just to climb the corporate ladder to where we wanna get. We need Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, raised from the dead up out of the grave, leaving the tomb and the burial clothes behind, going on ahead of us into the new day, preparing a better future and a brighter morning for his followers, urging us to try to keep up because the resurrection life is meant for us, for those who want and need something more, who sense that there must be more to this life than what they can see and what they can consume and what they can acquire for themselves. Christ is the Lord of the living and not the dead. And Christ calls us, Christ calls you to go where he is leading, to believe the good news and let it transform your life. Believe it or not, that is what we are here for on this Sunday. The time is now, the day is here. If you're waiting for a sign, if you're waiting for a word from the Lord, looking to see what it is God might want you to do, the answer is to go where the risen Jesus is going, back into the broken world that crucified him, to proclaim the end of all that and to announce forgiveness of sins, hope for the hopeless, freedom for captives, and resurrection for the dead. This is the Easter message. The Easter gospel that the first witnesses believed, that empowers the church, and that you and I are invited into this morning. The tomb is empty, and Jesus Christ is risen from the dead to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. Now, what are you prepared to do?